war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, over 20 years' experience, specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating patios, and much more. Call them today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. They are tremendous. They also, how about this, once a month, they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving for a free quote. It makes a huge difference in your property, in your home, in your driveway or patio. 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. 401-732-1730. You can also find them on Facebook. They're terrific. Hey, get that driveway paved. Call and book an appointment now, 401-732-1730 for J. Perry Paving. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. It's Holy Thursday. This portion of our program brought to you by PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. They are officially open for the season, and they're open with a bang. Beautiful selection, pansies, pansy flats, pansy bags, hangers and bowls, Sorted colors. They have all your Easter plants, tulips, hyacinthias, daffodils, hydrangeas, colors available, blue, white, pink. Mary, they carry many landscape materials, too. Screen loom, black, brown, hemlock, and mulch. Plus, right now they have crushed stone. Gift certificates are also available. Look for them on Facebook. They have a terrific Facebook page, which they're always updating. Folks, the season is here. It's Easter week. Stop in and see my friends, Debbie and Steve and Junior and Byron, at PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. Family-run business, committed to quality and excellence, located right off of Route 4, Rhode Island's number one garden center, 3688 Quaker Lane in North Kingstown. It's PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. They're open seven days a week. Well, opposition continues towards this super scam building where Governor McGreed, Governor McKee has decided, folks, th- l- let me just cut to the chase. This is all about throwing, as I've said, throwing labor, the unions, throwing them a huge payday in exchange for campaign donations. Period. End of story. This is ludicrous. This isn't going to be a $220 million project. First of all, you could build that number of apartments for under $20 million. That building has outlived un- unless some business wants to take it over. This business of just putting apartments in there, and the apartments would be eight hundred thousand to one million dollars, is is ridiculous. Uh, it's it's unaffordable. It would be a bottomless money pit for the unions. This is about the unions, then building and getting a contract for like three hundred million dollars. That's what it is, and there'd be cost overruns and rewrites and everything else. Uh, this deal should not go through. It is, a fact, uh, uh, an element of corporate welfare, as they call it. And everyone that is in on this has an agenda. Uh, Governor McKee, he wants the campaign donations from the laborers, from the unions. And, you know, he wants to be able to say, hey, look what I've done. The general, tre- um, the head of commerce, Stephen Pryor, he wants to run for general treasurer. And that would be his big claim to fame that they put this together. Alorza is trying to change his legacy as he's getting ready. You know, this is his final year in office. Providence will have a new mayor next year. Alorza, his legacy will be the Providence riot, ATVs, shootings, murders, and an increase in crime and the destruction of downtown. He's trying to change that. But, and, and you know, you, you can't also ignore that the person that is the architect of this deal, Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee, is currently the subject of an FBI probe. What part of that is wrong? None of it. Everything I just said is accurate. Listen, the, the owner of this building, it has sat dormant and vacant for nine years. It No, the state should not be kicking in any money. So there's a story in the, this morning's Boston Globe, Superman building, or super scam building, as I now call it, faces opposition, could push Providence into bankruptcy. Stephen Pryor stood a podium, grand painting of George Washington, and said it's you know going to come to an end. 
And we're going to fill the Industrial National Bank Building, 111 Westminster. And we're going to give them... And High Rock Development owns the building. Been trying to negotiate a way to, quote, breathe new life into the Superman building. They shouldn't have bought it. High Rock Principal David Sweetsner purchased the building for $33 million in 2008. It's currently assessed at $14 million. I think that's high. So listen, in 2008, he bought the building for $33 million. It's 2022. And it's worth less than half, $14 million. You know whose problem that is? That's his problem. So this business that they're going to create 285 new residential units, 20% will be considered affordable housing. And I don't think that's accurate. And then there's going to be 34,000 square feet of office, retail, commercial, event space. The cost, $220 million. The state's fronting $26 million. The developer could get $24 million federal tax assistance. So that, that's, I mean, look at that's $50 million right there. That's, that's more than what he paid for it. The city of Providence is going to put up $5 million plus a loan of $10 million that he has to pay back in 40 years. Ridiculous. 30-year tax stabilization agreement. Folks, there's a reason why people are upset about this. Senator Sam Bell. This could push Providence into bankruptcy. A 20-year TSA would be extremely aggressive. 30 years? Providence cannot afford this. Ridiculous. These agreements, they call them a TSA, Tax Stabilization Agreement, 30-year. This is worse deal if you just had the state pay to build the building from scratch than give it to the developer for free. If the state feels so much for corporate welfare, should put up more. You know, he's not wrong. You could actually build the building for less than the $220 million. Minority leader Blake Filippi told The Globe he opposes and other Republicans this type of corporate welfare. We all know the taxpayer bailout will increase when the $220 million construction estimate proves a fantasy. It is. Without a $220 million maximum cost construction contract, the state should not engage. Folks, this is going to be the big dig of Rhode Island. It'll go to $300 million. It'll go to $400 million. And then it'll just send, sit empty. That's what they do. They start to build and say, oh, cost overruns. Looks like now we have to put in some revisions. Oh, did we say $220 million? We mean it's going to cost $330 million. Then the cost would be $440 million. Then the cost would be $550 million. Ken Block, who ran for governor, public questioned how Providence could offer a long-term tax stabilization agreement but, grant, but wants to borrow $500 million to try to fix its broken pension system. Why are we wasting so much taxpayer money on this this 111 Superman building? It's to bail out a real estate developer who made a bad decision. The building was once a symbol of Rhode Island's private economic proneness. Now it becomes a symbol of a waste government bailout. He's exactly right. This is the problem of the developer, period, end of story. Providence taxpayers would extend a 40-year low-interest $10 million loan, $5 million grant, and also a generous tax stabilization agreement, said, wrote the progressive candidate for Providence mayor. Maybe we can throw in a convertible Bentley, too. The Susie Yankee, the chairwoman of the Rhode Island GOP, said the deal was insanity. 57 units of affordable housing. Spend $65 million in federal, state, local dollars. <laughs> These affordable apartments do not sound too affordable for taxpayers. 20% in the, are earmarked for affordable housing. Half will be for individuals make up 120% of the area median income. The, the, listen, this whole thing is, is ridiculous. Um, another candidate said, I don't know how investing in this is going to improve the livelihoods of the working poor in Providence. Well, it's not. The majority of the apartments of the building are considered market rate units totally unaffordable. Listen, this, this whole business of this... It's the Superman building, and it's got to be saved. And it, it's all, that's all marketing spin. Just the fact that they refer to it as the Superman building. For years, no one called it the Superman building. It's the industrial trade building. It was also where Bank of America was. Um, and folks, as, as we have talked about, the this whole thing started when the new owner kicked out, kicked out the tenant of it said either rent the whole building or or you're out and and then thought that they were going to do a deal 
thought they were going to do a deal with then-Speaker Gordon Fox, and that did not happen. So April 12, 2013 was the last day Bank of America operated there. But, you know, who, whose problem is that? It's the owner's problem. It's a wealthy real estate developer. No, absolutely not. This, that, this is fantasy that somehow everyone is rallying that this building needs to be saved. Right? He bought it in 2008 for $33 million. It's It's worth less than half that. He made a bad purchase. And if, on top of that, the way that people's work habits have changed since COVID kicked in, people are not, you know, they, there's plenty of empty office space now. If, if, he, if this developer wants to turn the building into um, low, you know, very inexpensive micro loft apartments, they call them, then, then he can do that. But the problem is because the laborers are involved, because he was expecting all this money from Gordon Fox as speaker, suddenly they can't afford it. Folks, this portion of the program is brought to you by Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Now, look, listen, they have everything you need for Easter. Stock up. Their hours are 7 in the morning till 2 o'clock. They'll be open on Saturday. They're open today. Delicious calzones. They also have uh, wandy trays, uh, great Easter baskets, Ron's Pastry Gourmet, delicious cupcakes, and all kinds of treats, the chocolate donuts, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence, right off of Silver Spring Street. Make it a great day at Ron's Pastry Gourmet. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. Weekdays, we start at 11 a.m. We go till 2 p.m., it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, petro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he's one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. It is our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, I'd like to start off. Boy, yesterday was a day for the ages in uh, the state of New York, especially New York City with what happened. But uh, something very interesting also happened, and that is the lieutenant governor of New York. In the midst of everything happening with the shooting of the subway and the manhunt for 24 hours, but the lieutenant governor was uh, of New York was arrested and quickly uh, resigned after that. So whenever you see that type of political situation and then the rapid pace of someone basically, again, not under examination or investigation, but literally arrested. What, what can you tell us, Tim Dodd, about this lieutenant governor of New York State? Well, he was, I, I think, John, something of an unknown, even yeah. within the state of New York. He was a state senator from Harlem. And after um, Andrew Cuomo resigned and the lieutenant governor, Kathy, I guess it's Hochul. I never quite know how to pronounce her name. I've heard it all yeah. different ways. But she had the right to pick her lieutenant governor. And she picked this guy, um, uh, Benjamin to be the lieutenant governor, somewhat picked him out of, plucked him out of obscurity, if you will. Yeah. Now, I guess in today's day and age, you know, he checks off certain boxes, which might be attractive to the New York electorate. But now he's been charged uh, by the feds with um, bribery, fraud, conspiracy, and falsification of records. Apparently, he was funneling campaign contributions uh, back. He had a, a supporter. The supporter would funnel him money. Some of that money would get funneled back to the supporter's charitable organization. And in exchange for this funneling of money, um, then the Senator um, Benjamin would uh, promote legislation that would be favorable to this developer through the um, through the New York Senate. So it's a it's a classic kickback scheme. Now, obviously, anyone who's charged with a crime has a presumption of innocent. Yeah. You know, you're innocent till proven guilty. Um, one wonders what sort of quantity of and quality of evidence there may be against this guy. Um, the person that he was conspiring with has apparently gotten jammed up either on this or other potential criminal conduct. And as we've seen over and over and over, you know, the feds aren't going to go right to this Lieutenant governor, Brian Benjamin, 
and start asking them questions. They're going to go to the underlings. They're going to go to right. people on Benjamin's campaign staff, people who work in his office, shake them down, get them to flip. Apparently, Benjamin was getting some of um, his um, employees in his when he was a state senator um, to falsify records, to backdate wow. documents, to do all sorts of things to deceive and to lie and to obscure what was really going on. So if some of those people flipped and if the person he was conspiring with has already flipped, he might be able to read the tea leaves and say, you know, uh, the jig is up here. So politically, he probably did the governor a favor. She's running for reelection. It's certainly an embarrassment to have this guy on the ticket with her for lieutenant governor getting charged with a federal, a series of federal crimes. So you know, he 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 resigned. He gave the governor, I guess, a little bit of room here to try to talk her way out of how she could have picked this guy amongst anyone she could have picked. And then within months, he's resigned under um, a rather embarrassing set of circumstances. Who knows what sort of um, trajectory this will take within the court system? I mean, as we know, in the federal system, there's a great incentive if you know that the feds have you to come in from the cold early, so to speak, and to not put the government through the expense of a trial, to acknowledge your conduct, to admit your criminal conduct. You know, all of those things can have a significant impact um, at the time of sentencing. If you want to brazenly tough it out, have a trial, and in the end you lose, well, then typically you'd be looking at significantly more court uh, prison time versus had you come in, uh, made a, a deal, if you will, with the feds, admitted your um, involvement, not put the government through a trial, saved all that money, et cetera. So it sounds like this guy's on the trajectory perhaps of trying to cut an early deal to minimize um, his potential criminal exposure. Tim Dodd, is it fair to say that <clears throat> something of this nature, high profile politician, that the FBI, when they're investigating someone like that, uh, what people need to understand is they understand the nature of the high profile uh, magnitude this is going to have. And so therefore, you know, they, they don't they don't bring these cases willy nilly. It, it's not as much as sometimes, you know, that there's great theater in the, the politician that's accused. And then, you know, they may claim their innocence and so forth. But 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 by and large, would it be fair to say that the authorities, they they recognize the high profile nature of of some of this. And therefore, when they do bring charges, it's the, the reason why someone generally caves is because it's pretty much a a rock solid case. Well, the the feds do their homework. They typically bring a case forward when they've got all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. And as we sort of saw during the 2016 presidential election cycle, the feds and the FBI, et cetera, they do not like to um, bring forward charges, et cetera, in the middle of an election cycle. Right. So they may well have seen better to um, charge this guy and arrest him now versus waiting until we're closer to, you know, the primaries in New York and the ultimate election in November. Strategically, it probably made sense to get it out of the way before we get into the heat of the election cycle, if you will. Hmm. Folks, again, we'll speak with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, just to follow up on that, you know, some people, and, and I understand, uh, there'd be no reason sometimes for people to fully understand the way it works. But for instance, this week, people were asking me, you know, what's the latest with the Governor McKee and being investigated? And and again, for, for people don't fully understand it, but I, I was trying to explain something of that magnitude. Number one, Traditionally, I, I don't think they're going to be giving us updates. And number two, if it's seeming like it's it's in its seemingly it's in its infancy, um, this this could be quite some time that this investigation goes on. Well, yes, the the situation with Governor McKee 
let's uh, compare it to what just happened with uh, Lieutenant Governor Benjamin. Yeah. I'm sure the feds, as we've <clears throat> said, went to all of his staff, all of his yep. underlings, and worked their way up the food chain and got people to flip. And those who know that there's an investigation going on, they're getting, it's kind of like musical chairs. You don't want to yeah. be the last person standing without a chair. Yep. Um, it's going to be potentially the same thing with this ILO deal. All yeah. of these people who cooked up this um, um forming this business within days of um, Governor McKee becoming the governor. Um, they had this whole scheme set up um, and, you know, maybe it'll be shown to be um, justifiable under the emergency circumstances that we had with COVID, but they're going to go through the same very workmanlike going through the different levels of people's um, involvement or sophistication and working their way up to the top target, which would be the governor, if they can get that far. Now, this uh, Lieutenant Governor Benjamin, he resigned immediately. Who knows what he knows of the facts? Mm. Compare that to when Mayor Cianci was charged by the yeah. feds. He yep. never quit. He didn't resign. No. He was mayor until the bitter end. Yep. And in his case, although when you would read the daily papers, it would seem like there was quite a lot of shenanigans going on with his underlings. Um, it's really still it's questionable to this day whether the feds really proved anything, in my view. That for which um, Mayor Cianci should have been convicted. Uh, ultimately, right. they got him for conspiring with nobody who was identifiable. It was a very strange, you know better than I, you were there, but I think Buddy beat the rap on, what, 32 out of 33 counts, something right like that. that. Yes. And he got nailed on the one, which sent him off to prison. But his calculation, I think, was a good one because he yeah. came within a whisker of beating mm. the whole rap. And he, life would have gone on. He would have been mayor and the, the government would have had a certain amount of embarrassment. Um, right. This guy, Benjamin, might know that he doesn't have the same kind of cards to play as Buddy had back at the time he was facing trial. Um, yeah. Two and different scenarios. Down, is it fair to say that this lieutenant governor of New York, that without acknowledging anything, but he, he may have been aware of this investigation for quite some time. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. This, the, and this was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, he's not blindsided by this. I'm sure they've known for a long time, just like, you know, any of these Trump investigations, they'd be announcing all the time, oh, right. they're talking to Jared Kushner, oh, they're yep. talking to Ivanka, oh, they're talking to Mark Meadows, oh, he's going to get nailed soon, you know. Yeah. The feds release the information they want, and the targets typically know there's something going on. Right. Folks, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break. A lot more ahead. Attorney Tim Dada, legal expert, right here. Much more ahead on the John DeCitro Show. The problem with your heating system? Call R.E. Coogan Heating today, 401-732-6562. 24-hour emergency service, gas boiler, oil burner, Coogan Heating, 401-732-6562. They're helpful trustworthy reliable explore their services look for them on facebook and the website is recooganheating.com residential services as coogie says let us into your home don't fix it alone plumbing heating and cooling from winter to summer trained technicians provide 100 percent service one customer at a time from service calls maintenance agreements installation re coogan heating proud to help residential customers and they pride themselves making customer service and satisfaction a top priority. Call them today. Now it's cold. It's going to remain cold. Call Coogan Heating today, 401-732-6562. It's Coogie. It's 24-hour emergency service. Hey, not long ago, our hot water tank gave out. What did I do? Did I panic? Did I try to fix it? I called Coogan Heating, 401-732-6562. Look for them on Facebook and then the website is recooganheating.com. We're speaking with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this uh, next piece of legislation, I, it, to me, it's still a head-scratcher, and I can't believe it's actually going to be expanded. 
It's called Evergreen. And the way it came up was that basically contracts don't end, at least for firefighters, uh, in the different cities and towns. And therefore, the, 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 all the strength and position of negotiating is lie. The contract never fully ends until there's a new contract. So there's no incentive to sign a new deal because it's not as if, if the contract expires, the city or town could start to make unilateral changes regarding you know, personnel or platoons or shifts or whatever you want to say. Well, now... As bad as it was when it first came in, now you have that they're looking to even expand this this evergreen provision. And and I believe it's this is still unsettled business and they're still the cities and towns that brought the the suit are still trying to challenge this. Yes, back in two thousand nineteen, one version of this evergreen legislation passed. I believe that was for the benefit of teachers of legislation would be for the benefit, I believe, of fire and police. Now, opponents of this bill, which are most of the elected mayors and town administrators around the, around the state, oppose it because it creates budgetary nightmares, as you say, staffing issues, platooning issues, budget issues. Um, the opponents of this legislation that's currently uh, making its way through the Senate and the House. Um, the argument is this should be put on hold because the 2019 Evergreen version, which benefited teachers, is in the court system. Right. I believe there's about 17 or 18 lawsuits by the various cities and towns mm. challenging the constitutionality of this. Virtually all the mayors... Um, I know uh, Mayor Lombardi from North Providence, Mayor yep. Policina from Johnson, yep. they're way out front. Even yep. Jorge Alorza has picked the yep. right side on this one miraculously. But they're all on the same page. So the contract comes up, let's say it's expiring with fire, and the city says, we need less staffing at night, we need more staffing at day, or whatever they want to do to move uh, people around to change the staffing, to change the platooning. We need to do this to save money. The union says, no, we're not doing that. We don't agree. We're going to keep the current contract in and keep paying us and, and um, staffing us as you're doing right now. Right. So the cities are over a barrel. And, you know, the longer that goes on, uh, it creates budgetary problems, and at the end of the day, all that can happen is either you start um, laying off employees or you raise property taxes. So if you, if you want to give the unions this sort of power, then folks in any of the cities and towns in Rhode Island, if you're one of these union members who gets the benefit of an evergreen contract, great. If you're an ordinary taxpayer, you can expect your property taxes to go up because you're going to be forever um, increasing the monetary amount, amounts needed to fund these various police departments, fire departments, teachers, etc. And you can't really fault the proponents of this evergreen legislation for doing what they're doing. They've got the votes. And this is power politics. They've got the votes and they're going to try to ram this thing through. And we've said many times, agree with them or not. Um, unions like the firefighters and the various cities and towns, they are the best organized. They are the best funded. They are the best at playing the political game. They are the best at influencing things up at the state house. So although people in some quarters may not like this potential outcome, you, you got off to these folks, John. They they know what they want. They're very focused on getting it done, and they've got the votes. So mm -hmm. it's hard to fight against what's happening if people keep getting elected who will favor these types of policies. The unions have folks, the votes. They're going to go for it. Folks, we speak with our legal analyst attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, now in Rhode Island, uh, Governor McKee gave. Uh, bonuses, $3,000 bonuses to started off Council 94 uh, state workers if they'd get the vaccine. Then they retracted it and said it was retention bonuses. Then they gave bonuses to the Rhode Island State Police saying that's incentive for them to use their body cams, even though I, 
I don't fully understand that. But boy, what a different story next door in Massachusetts, where Governor Baker put down the ultimatum that first responders and the, the Massachusetts State Police that either get the vaccine or there's the door and, and they are enforcing it. Yes, and I believe about a dozen Massachusetts state troopers, I think one sergeant and the rest four uh, troopers, have been terminated. Yeah. Uh, now, in Massachusetts, there was one lawsuit filed by a number of um, members of the Massachusetts State Police looking for an exemption on religious grounds. Now, that legislation, excuse me, that lawsuit um, seeking an exemption based upon religious grounds is still in the mass courts. So those um, troopers who were part of that litigation looking for a religious exemption, they're still on the job. But there were, again, about a dozen troopers who did not participate in this lawsuit we're not going to hide behind a religious religious exemption, which might not have been an honest or legitimate um, concern of theirs. And they just said, we're not going to get this. And they've been terminated. Hmm. Now, I believe the troopers in mass are unionized. I presume the union has been fighting this thing through. I presume there'll be a lawsuit um, challenging the governor's authority or the legitimacy of the policy and whether that policy is backed by appropriate science. Um, one would presume this thing will make its way into the court system and that these troopers aren't just going to say, oh, well, that was a nice career. I'll go do something else. I, I got to believe they'll be in court on this one challenging the authority, um, number one, and the policy. Is it a reasonable policy um, for public safety and that requires, like we've seen a few cases in Rhode Island, an analysis of the efficacy of these various vaccines. Do they work? Are they worth yep. it? Um, what are the risks to a person if they um, are injected with one of these vaccines, both long-term and short-term? And um, do they do any real good? And is cool. it good science? And is it good public policy? I would presume those issues will be in front of a judge in the, in the immediate future. Hmm. Folks, we're going to take a uh, quick break, a lot more, much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus. For heating and cooling, call Propane Plus today in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. In Rhode Island, Propane Plus number 401 885-4209. It's the Johnson family. It's Propane Plus, the leading full-service provider of propane to Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries, but they can service your entire heating, cooling system, and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable, sustainable, equitable, Good for the environment, and also now it's renewable. Online at propaneplus.com, Propane Plus, heating and cooling. In Massachusetts, call the Rehoboth office, 508-252-3359, and in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. We speak with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, out in uh, California... Um, as much as now, especially in the aftermath of the pandemic, uh, certainly a housing crisis in Rhode Island, California, they've had one for quite some time. And in California, they start to allow a lot of people, okay, so you have a house and maybe someone has a shed or they have a pool house or something like that. And they start to allow and say to people that if you wanted, you could either start to, some people started to move into the smaller uh, dwelling on their property, if you will, and that became their residence. And then they were renting out their their main normal type of house and or use it as like an in-law type of apartment. So you actually do have two structures on on one piece of property. And there's now legislation regarding these in-law apartments in Rhode Island. What can you tell us about that? It's... Um... Uh, I... 
It's very odd piece of legislation. Historically, the various cities and towns have all had their own zoning ordinances to control or to provide predictability in how the community is going to be developed. Virtually all the, 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 the cities and towns, maybe not the smaller ones, but let's say Warwick, Cranston, Providence, East Providence, et cetera, have comprehensive plans for their development. They, they promulgate these plans for how they want the city or the town to develop. They establish business corridors, they establish commercial corridors, industrial corridors, um, single family home corridors, multifamily corridors, things of this nature. This legislation would not completely, but start the ball rolling to turn that whole system on its head. One of the things when anyone, I think, buys a piece of real estate to to live in, you look at the neighborhood, you look at the house, you look at the environment, you want to see what's around. So if you're buying into a neighborhood that has, let's say, single family homes, and that's one of the things that induces you to buy there, and suddenly your neighbor is turning their garage into an apartment and the guy down the street's making his attic into an apartment, and suddenly there's lots more cars and lots more people who don't have an ownership interest and don't have the same interest in, let's say, maintaining their properties. Um, it can have an adverse effect on property values, and it sorts it starts to um, fray the predictability of neighborhoods or areas that zoning ordinances are supposed to provide. This piece of legislation attempts to address the housing shortage in Rhode Island. And it's got some very strange bedfellows that are all in favor of it. The Rhode Island League of Cities and Towns is for this. And I'm a bit surprised by that, but they're all for it. Obviously, the Rhode Island Builders Association is for it. And there's a number of other organizations that are for this legislation. Right now, if you wanted to, let's say, take your garage and turn it into an apartment, depending on the city or town you live in, that would be a very difficult thing to do. So if this legislation goes through, the state is essentially usurping the um, authority of the various cities and towns and their zoning boards um, to essentially overrule um, what's presumed to be logical zoning and, you know, uh, comprehensive plans for development. Um, You could have a real scattershot approach in any neighborhood. Um, Your next door neighbor wants to gaff in an apartment in his garage. Well, okay, he's going to do it, and you're going to have to live with it. Um, I I think for predictability and for... um, knowing what you're buying and where you're buying it and what you're looking for when you do spend a ton of money to buy, let's say, a home, it makes a difference. Right now, if you have your elderly mother-in-law and you go before a zoning board and you say, I want to make an in-law apartment in my basement or in my garage or by whatever, and I live in the place and my mother-in-law is going to live in this apartment, that's why they call it an in-law apartment or a granny flat, Um, you're the owner, you're going to be there. So you're going to be overseeing things. This legislation would provide that I I could just go buy investment property in any neighborhood and start gaffing in apartments. I don't live there. What do I care? Right. So I I think this legislation needs, I understand the purpose. There is a housing shortage, but the breakdown that this will cause in zoning ordinances, um, I think will be a big problem going forward. Okay, and once now we say that you can throw in an apartment anywhere you want, well, can you start plopping, we need more business. So can we start plopping businesses in the middle of residential zones? Where will it stop? I mean, it's it's just breaking down another element of society. Yeah. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal analyst, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, my next story, um, uh, rather troubling out of East Greenwich, where... Apparently, two coach and assistant coach of the volleyball team. Uh, the focus of the story 
seemingly is on the girls volleyball team and one of the coaches. They're both terminated. Uh, it turns out that the coach that was terminated, I believe, is uh, related to and renting from uh, living in a dwelling of mayoral candidate Brett Smiley. I believe the man is uh, related to, I think he's his nephew, his husband's nephew. But um, the Smiley camp issued a, a statement saying that he's not in any, any legal trouble as far as he didn't commit a crime of any kind, but they were definitely terminated from East Greenwich High School in the, the coaching and the volleyball team. I know there's been a lot in the news about the former North Kingston basketball coach. Yes. This East Greenwich situation seems to me a much more significant and troublesome situation. I mean, mm. both need to be looked into, but this one, the coaches allegedly would come to practice either hungover or drunk. Yeah. One of the coaches tried to – this is male coaches in a girls' volleyball team forcibly tried to kiss one of the girls on the team, uh, touched one of the students on her thigh under a blanket while they were on school grounds, told one player she had a perfect body, told another one um, – in, inappropriate he, comments, inappropriate comments, he wanted to have a romantic relationship with the student yep. after they turned 18. Right. Um, lots of things of that nature. Is it criminal? Maybe not. Is it creepy? Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's no place for this type of conduct by coaches. Um, in, in this environment, um, and the story that was published, I found a little bit troubling, is that lots of students and parents felt they were unable to complain or speak out about what these coaches were up to because they were afraid that they'd have their playing time cut. Yeah. I mean, what's more important if you're a parent mm. <laughs> saying my kid's got to get more playing time or... Um, I got to speak up because my kid's being harassed by some creepy coach. I mean, I, I don't even see that there's any equality between the two, but if parents are afraid to speak up because they want more playing time, and I guess the consequence is getting harassed by a coach, um, that's a surprising um, aspect of parenting that I wouldn't have thought would be part of the equation, but I guess it is. Could there be more legal consequences here? Any type of suit or... I guess it's it's not breaking the law. It's definitely well they were terminated. Uh, certainly goes against the green. Could there be some kind of charges, Tim Dodd? Because the the coach seemingly was readily admitting. I, I believe it was the girls on the JV team. He's over eighteen. They're fourteen, fifteen years old. Uh, certainly below age of consent. Could there potentially be a case here of? unwanted advances against a minor? I'm, I'm not that familiar with. Well, if nothing comes of it, not necessarily, but there's one report it would have to be proved that one of these coaches kissed or forcibly attempted to kiss three right. of the girls. Those would be assault and battery charges, potentially. Okay. Those are misdemeanors. There could be something. One of the coaches touched a student on her thigh under a blanket. So I guess he really had to go find her thigh to get under a blanket and do so. Um, that would be an assault and battery. Uh, without this guy touching the, the girl's thigh or whatever he did, you know, uh, uh, that would not rise to the level of a sexual assault based upon the information that we know right now. Yep. You know, telling a girl that she, one of the students, I shouldn't say girl, one of the women on the team that she's got a perfect body is certainly inappropriate and creepy for a man to say to a, a young girl on the JV team, but it's not criminal. Um, so they got terminated. There could be some criminal charges that would come of this. And I would expect now that the story has broken, um, you'll have a longer line of current and past students coming forward to make similar allegations against these two guys. And we have to wait and see whether any of these 
present or past students will make any allegations of anything more serious, which could result in felony charges. As of right now, the best I see is misdemeanor charges, maybe. Yeah. And finally, Tim Dodd, um, this this Johnny Depp story and legal case, uh, the, the whole thing, I mean, the whole thing from the beginning to end has been odd. But what just the uh, the the nature of where the suit is taking place, um, he and the I guess his former wife, they've been certainly uh, had some different court battles. He's going after her. Um, what stands out to you about this this Johnny Depp case? That he shouldn't have brought it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's really I, I, I. This has been a very tempestuous marriage between Johnny Depp and this actress Amber Heard. Yeah, um, they've been fighting. They were married for two years and fighting for about eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, they've already had one, not her, but one um, tabloid publication in the UK published an article saying that Johnny Depp was a wife beater. There was a trial. Amber Heard testified there saying, yeah, he beat me up. He forced me into having sex and he raped me. Uh, The court there dismissed Johnny Depp's case against the newspaper for uh, defamation and libel. The judge basically said, I think you're a wife beater. So I think Mm. what the, what the, what the newspaper published was accurate. So so now we've got a similar piece of um, litigation happening in the state of Virginia Amber Heard published an op-ed piece, I believe in the uh, Washington Post, where she says, I have been a victim of high profile um, sexual harassment and abuse. She never names Johnny Depp as Mm. the person who perpetrated these things against her. Johnny Depp says, oh, she must be referring to me. So Mm. he brings a defamation suit against her for what she published in the paper. Uh, Her her defense in part is, I never said it was you by name, although she's going to testify that he did all these things to her. Right. Anytime you've got a libel case or a defamation case, the adage is that truth is an absolute defense. Mm. So he's going to get up there and say, that she was the aggressor, she was the crazy person, she's the one who used to throw empty liquor bottles at me, she attacked me. She's going to say, no, 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 he used to punch me, he used to hit me, he used to push me, he used to force me into different um, forms of sexual activity that I didn't want to engage in, he raped me. Um, And it's going to be for a jury to determine whether even if the jury finds that she was talking about Johnny Depp in this newspaper article, if what she's saying about him is true, then he, she's not defaming him. Right. So his team says that what she's alleging is categorically and demonstrably false. So the jury's going to hear some very salacious um, information from both sides. Johnny Depp's going to say that she's crazy. She was the aggressor. She used to throw stuff at me. She used to hurt me. She's going to say the opposite against him. They're both going to have a conga line of witnesses backing up their particular stories. Johnny Depp has sued her for $50 million. She counterclaimed against him for $100 million. Why not? So I think at the end of the day, um, I just don't see based upon what's been produced so far that it's likely that Johnny Depp is going to prevail here. He's already lost one case uh, where the court found that he, he was not defamed by a newspaper because what the newspaper printed was um, demonstrably true. Yeah. Folks, again, he is our uh, legal expert attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, great job as always. And we will talk to you again. Take care, John. If you're ever in an accident, pick up the phone and call West Fountain Auto Body today, 401-272-3340. Were you in an auto accident, someone damaged your vehicle? Folks, it can happen, whether it's people not paying attention, a drunk driver, people texting and driving. If you're ever in an accident, pick up the phone, call West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. Remember, with West Fountain Auto Body, They're going to work for you, not the insurance company. Call them today. If you were in an accident, 
drunk driver, someone texting and driving, minor fender banner, even a nearly totaled vehicle. Call West Fountain Auto Body today, 401-272-3340. They'll handle everything for you, the original, the best, and if you're in an accident and a tow truck pulls up, tell them, bring that car over to West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340, 401-272-3340, West Fountain Auto Body, located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. They'll work for you, not the insurance company. If you're in an accident, call West Fountain today. Get it repaired, 401-272-3340. Portion of the program brought to you by the Coesed Inn. Check them out on the website, depetro.com, the Coesed Inn, or Rhode Island tradition, since 1977, located 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge, whether a nice dinner or even just appetizers. There's always a great crowd. You can link directly to them, and gift certificates are available. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. You're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipetro.com. Check out the website, dipetro.com. We have original, unique, exclusive stories, videos, content, all our links to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's all right there, and that's also the best way to reach me. Log on at the website, depetro.com, dipetro.com. Well, health continues to be an important part of our daily lives. That's why you need to stop in and see the queen of health. It's Maria. It's my health because it's your health. But it's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Look for her on Facebook. You can also call her at 401-305-3585. You know where she is, right in that very majestic old white church diagonally across from Davidport Restaurant. It's my health. And inside, pop in. You'll see vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies who understand quality, integrity, local products like acai, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. It's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Wait till you see the selection. Over 250 bulk herbs, teas, spices purchased by the ounce plus boxed herbs and teas plus hemp and CBD products. Stop in natural skincare products, hair care products. It's my health, because it's your health. Stop it and see Marie, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Into Brood Awakenings and discover the Brood difference. Two locations in Johnston, also in Cranston, Pontiac Avenue, and then also Bald Hill Road in Warwick. Brood Awakenings, they're local, fresh ingredients, cozy environment, great comfortable chairs, delic- delicious breakfast sandwiches, lunch, Great drinks and coffee and plenty of room to spread out and meet people. I'll see you and you'll discover the brood difference at Brood Awakenings. The John DePietro Show brought to you by Realtor Pat Elston. Call Pat today, 401-474-5253. There's a link right directly to her on the website, dipietro.com. Caldwell Banker Realty, based in Cumberland, 20 years experience, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Pat services all of Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Contact Pat Elston today, 401-474-5253, and you can find her right on the website, dipetro.com.